Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, February 14, 2013. We are reading today from the big book. We are in Chapter 9 on page 129, with beginning with the paragraph, though the family does not fully agree. It's at the bottom of the page. The reference number for yesterday's meeting, which was Wednesday, February 13th, is 3887. That's 3887. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Irini to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I wish you all a loving day. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. 
I'd now like to ask Margaret to please read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, A Vision for You. My name is Margaret H., um, compulsive overeater in Illinois. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God is he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Oh, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book, and we are in Chapter 9, The Family Afterwards, on page 129, beginning with a paragraph at the bottom of that page, though the family does not fully agree. And this morning, I would like to ask Esther to please get us started. Good morning. My name is Esther C. from Canada and I am a compulsive overeater. Though the family does not fully agree with Dad's spiritual activities, they should let him have his head, even if he displays a certain amount of neglect and irresponsibility towards the family. It is well to let him go as far as he likes in helping other alcoholics. During those first days of convalescence, 
this will do more to ensure his sobriety than anything else. Though some of his manifestations are alarming and disagreeable, we think Dad will be on a firmer foundation than a man who is placing business or professional success ahead of spiritual development. He will be less likely to drink again, and anything is preferable to that. So good morning, my fellows. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. You know, this chapter, The Family Afterwards, is is such a gift to um, the alcoholics and and their families because it's, it's giving the family of the alcoholic a picture of how events are are likely to unfold, you know, once the alcoholic becomes sober and um, is recovering. And the message that I've learned in this paragraph, firstly, is patience. I mean, the family's probably eager for all problems to be fixed, especially after all the suffering that they've endured. But, um, you know, and it would seem that the alcoholic is neglecting practical matters in favor of his spiritual work and involvement of recovery. But this paragraph, again, reminds me that spiritual development comes first and then all else can follow. It's very, um, just like we read on page 127, material well-being always followed spiritual progress. It never proceeded. And, of course, what is true for the family is true for us as well. In order for me, uh, a, a compulsive overeater, to experience the changes in my life, my relationships, family, finances, etc., I always need to put my spiritual progress first because once I take care of my spiritual development and do that the work that I need to do in in that area keeping you know God consciousness alive and and well then all the other changes that I'm hoping for all the other changes that that we've been learning about those will all follow first comes the spiritual progress then comes the well-being in the other areas and with that I'll pass thank you thank you Esther would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. This is Robin. Go ahead, Robin. Good morning. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, this makes me think about when I came into program and got abstinent for the first time um, ever in my life. All of a sudden, I was abstinent. And I remember one of the um, excuses that I'd been using for years to not find abstinence was I had no idea what I was going to do with all of the time that I was spending on eating. And I remember I was really scared about all of the time I knew I would be freeing up by, um, you know, because I thought that I was eating out of boredom. It was many other reasons, of course, but um, if I'm eating out of boredom, that means that I've got all this time that I'm filling with eating. So what's going to happen after I put down the food? I'm going to have all this time. How am I going to stay away from the food with all of this time on my hands? And I was told right away, well, what we're going to do is we're going to replace that eating behavior with action and um, being of service to other people and all of the things that our tools give us to fill the time. And a huge part of that was working with others and discovering the spiritual realm, um, discovering who my higher power was. So, you know, this was something that filled my time to be of service to everybody, you know, to each other, to be of service to newcomers and to be talking to people and um, to be learning about my spirituality. But I was still pretty sick inside. And if I hadn't had that um, uh, direction to focus on the program, I would have taken that new energy 
and spill sick energy out into the world. And if I had, at the time I wasn't working, but if I had focused on my profession without having the spiritual development under my, um, you know, having built a new foundation spiritually, and I'd gone out into the professional world and poured all of that energy into that, I would have been such a mess because I was brand new. Um, And what I'm told in this paragraph is, to be careful and focus all my energy on the spiritual realm and on the program that I have in the beginning, which, you know, this wonderful energy, but still underpinned by many character defects. But I can't go wrong if I'm pouring all of that energy into my program and into my spiritual life. It's going to keep me safe and it's going to keep me abstinent. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Melanie, compulsive overeater. Go ahead, Ms. Melanie. Hi, good morning. Um, Recovered here today in Minnesota. I look at this and I think to myself um, in kind of a panic mode, and so I'm reading these words as reassurance to the family that this is probably going to be happening and that perhaps you're thinking if he practices being out there helping other people to the degree um, that it was that was required of me in order to start getting myself upright again, that maybe that will be the new practice and he will never come back. And what I'm hearing here is reassurance and support and um, some way in order to to um, satiate that fear that I might have that he's never going to come back, that this is the proof, this is their experience that they have had. If you give Father his head about him in, in working through these spiritual, mal- uh, uh, these spiritual methods, that, in fact, it's going to, especially with your support in the way of agreeing with that and giving him that love and that freedom to do so, really is going to have the opposite effect, you know, this book of dichotomies. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Katie, would you read that for us, please? I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater in Virginia. Those of us who have spent much time in the world of spiritual make-believe have eventually seen the childishness of it. This dream world has been replaced by a great sense of purpose, accompanied by a growing consciousness of the power of God in our lives. We have come to believe he would like us to keep our heads in the clouds with him, but that our feet ought to be firmly planted on earth. That is where our fellow travelers are, and that that is where our work must be done. These are the realities for us. We have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane and happy usefulness. So this is saying that, you know, this is not the type of spirituality that um, that we have um, when we're just saying, you know, get me out of this scrape and I'll never do it again. This is a different level of um, spiritual awakening that is um, growing daily and it's not um, going to be... Uh, replace, you know, once we get our, um, you know, sobriety under our belt or our abstinence or we lose all our weight, then, you know, we won't need that God thing anymore. That's not the way it is. This is, this is learning a whole new way of living. And um, 
you know, we have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of pain and happy usefulness. In other words, if you keep on this path that God is directing you on, you will not be disappointed. Um, And God is going to constantly reveal more to you on what you need to be doing. Um, It's not... uh, it's not a fantasy world. It's not a wishing and hoping. It's not wishing on falling stars. This is a real relationship um, where God's going to meet you in everyday circumstances. And um, it's a new thing for your family because you've been uh, so all over the place. And it's going to take, you know, I think the family is, are the hardest ones to convince that you really mean it. You know, after years and decades of, um, starting afresh on Monday or, you know, New Year's resolutions to see, you know, that you really mean it, that one day at a time becomes, you know, six weeks, six months, six years, um, they're going to be skeptical. But this is, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we have the power of God in our lives and uh, we just keep putting one foot in front of the other and it is a beautiful life. That'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Well, this is Janice, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I'd like to share this morning. You know, we're talking here in the big book. We're being taught about the early days, the earliest days of sobriety for this alcoholic. You know, they talk about it in terms of spiritual infancy, spiritual infancy. And and they're talking about Nothing so much ensures immunity as work with other alcoholics. Nothing so much ensures immunity as work with other alcoholics. And you can only imagine, you know, if the family has suffered mightily watching the alcoholic go deeper and deeper into the disease, that now that he's not drinking, well, let's get busy. But what do they think he ought to get busy at? Well, his professional life. You know, get back on track with work you know, and business and and that he cannot place that first before his spiritual development. He cannot place that first before his spiritual development because if he does, he will be likely to drink again. He will be very likely to drink again. And that was true for me. You know, that was true for me. In that spiritual infancy, when I first got abstinence, You know, I needed to get busy, but what did I need to get busy on? I needed to get busy on my spiritual development. I needed to get busy on carrying the message because that work with other alcoholics was going to ensure my not picking up again. That work with other compulsive overeaters. And I love this paragraph that says, we, those of us who have spent so much time in the world of spiritual make-believe, you know, I lived in a fantasy world that this time it was going to be different and what it was going to be like. And God let me just wake up thin this morning. You know, I, it, was a, it was a world of make-believe, a world of fantasy. It was not the real world. But when I woke up and I'm abstinent and I'm in the real world, then this dream world has to be replaced by a great sense of purpose. And that sense of purpose in me was that this was a solution. This was a solution, and it was based on my relationship with this higher power. The 
that I could have a growing consciousness of the power of God in my life and that that was going to turn the tide. That was what was going to save me in a way I could never have been saved before. But I couldn't be out there in la-la land. I had to have my feet, it says, planted firmly on the ground. And that's hard for the family to see. You know, he's busy, busy going to meetings and he's busy, busy with other alcoholics. And it seems like he might be being a bit neglectful. But it says the family should try to understand that he's in his infancy stages and he's setting a firm foundation for what will be a life filled with sane and happy usefulness. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for that. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So it says here, those of us who have spent much time in the world of spiritual make-believe have eventually seen the childlessness of it. This dream, this dream world has been replaced by a great sense of purpose, accompanied by a growing consciousness of the power of God in our lives. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to get up in the morning and throw on a light switch and suddenly feel that? That's incredible. But what chapter are we in? We're in the family afterwards. This is after that spiritual awakening. And I think one of the things I think can frustrate people and confuses people is step two and step 11. Now, step two is came to believe in a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity. It just means we're open up to the possibility that there's a power out there that can help us. And a lot of times we think we have to feel what this is saying. We have to feel this, that, that this world has been replaced by a great sense of purpose, accompanied by a growing consciousness of the power of God. But we're just open to the possibility. So step 11 says, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. So how do we get from that make-believe world where we're open up to the possibility of God to step 11 when we're seeking that consciousness, that conscious contact with God? Well, step two is came to believe, and step 11 is that conscious contact I think what that means is we have to do steps 3 through 10. That's what's going to give it depth and weight. That's what's going to make step 2, which seems like that flimsy read, turn into step 11 where we realize it's the powerful hand of God. So we have to go in there. We have to make that decision. We have to do step 4. And that means all the columns. It means we have to not only look at who we're resentful at, what they did to us, but we have to look where was our where were we a part of that? Where were we self self selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful? And then we have to do step five and tell you know tell some of the exact nature of our wrongs, not gloss over anything. Then we have to do six and seven. We have to recognize the futility and fatality of what we have done, and we have to say, God, take this from us, good or bad. I don't know what's good or bad. I'm giving this over to you. And then in step eight, we make that list of those people we had harmed. In step nine, we go out to our fellows and we repair that past. And when that wreckage is gone, we can start to feel that dream is being replaced by the sense of purpose, accompanied by a growing consciousness of the power of God in our lives. And we continue to grow that way by doing step 10, which is basically doing the inventory on a daily basis. 
There's a saying I love, practice makes perfect. So be careful what you practice. So we're now at this point where we're practicing those skills. We're practicing that inventory so that we can experience this great sense of purpose, not only alone and solitarily, but with our family and with our spouses and with the world around us. And I recently was at a meeting where this woman was talking about step 11 and it said, sought through prayer and meditation. And she said, seek is an active word. We have to actively do this. Prayer is talking to God. Meditation is listening to God. And what is, what is talking to and listening to? It's a conversation. So how can every day, how can I seek that conversation with God? How can I turn that make-believe world where I thought I could flip a switch and I could be sin? Flip a switch and I could be happy. Flip a switch and people could do what I want and then everything will be okay. But today I know through these steps I can have that spiritual awakening. And through these steps I continue to grow towards God. And I can get to that point where it says, we have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane and happy usefulness. Sane and happy usefulness. Today these are not words on the page. This is my experience. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Mascia. Go ahead, Paula. And then Leah. Thank you so much, Janice. You know, this is my favorite paragraph. And, um, okay, all right, maybe not my favorite, but it's right (laughs) up there on the top ten. But that first line... Those of us who spent much time in the world of spiritual make-believe, because I was there, because I was there, I thought when I became recovered, well, everybody was going to come right along with me. And all the family, you know, the children that never listened, oh, now they'll listen. They'll see the wisdom of my words. Yep. You want more about the spiritual make-believe, or do you have your own to add to it? And I'm sure you do. Have eventually seen the childness of it. There, the maturity, finally to be mature and adult enough to realize they lived their lives and I lived mine. How I live my life now is the difference. But it says this world has been replaced by a great sense of purpose. You know, I keep thinking every day I listen to the meetings and every day they say that the fifth tradition, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers and oftentimes they are in the family. This is the family afterward. But this power, the, the, what they're talking about here, accompanied by growing, growing consciousness, never stays the same. Nothing with life stays the same. It must grow. It must grow. That's life. Consciousness, that's an awareness of the power of God. That's it. Not my power. I had none on my own. I came here powerless. Here's where I received the power, and I know clearly from who the power of God in our lives. And then I'm going to just scoot on down, if you will, with me. These are the realities for us. This is it, finally to live in reality. There is life. We have found nothing incompatible Mm -mm. between the powerful spiritual experience, and here it is, a life of sane and happy usefulness. I don't pick and choose here. It's for all. It's for the family I live with, the family I'm part of, and it's also 
what I consider my fellow travelers, my family. Thank you. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Janice. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. We have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane and happy usefulness. So this powerful spiritual experience has occurred because I was handed this book and implemented these same very clear-cut instructions uh, that are penned on its pages. And I, too, had a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Now, that can come quickly. That could come slowly. But uh, it is a change in one's personality, one's outlook, one's attitudes, one's ideas, one's emotions, and it is profound. It is profound. And those of us who have had a spiritual awakening are now charged with a tremendous responsibility. And that responsibility is to carry this message. And not any message, and not my own personal philosophy or my own theory, but this message, that I've had a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And it says, we have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane and happy usefulness. That means that I better get busy, because the highest rank in this program of recovery is servant. That's the highest rank. You know, these 12 steps that we talk about daily and these principles that we do our best to implement in every thread of our lives, um, if they're practiced as a way of life, the literature tells me it will not only expel the obsession to compulsively overeat, but it will enable us to become happily and usefully whole. You know, that personality change that we talk about It's the ability of a person not just to live in the clouds uh, cleaving to their higher power, but it's an ability to do and to feel and to believe things that I used to be unable to do and to feel and to believe before. So not only are we developing this this relationship with God, and it's the quality of this consciousness with that higher power that will determine how my life unfolds, Um, but also to keep my feet firmly planted on the ground here. It says, we have come to believe he would like us to keep our heads in the clouds with him, but that our feet ought to be firmly planted on this earth. What does that mean? Well, that means that my spiritual work, the spiritual work of a recovered person, is to train my face to smile instead of perhaps criticize my neighbor, or to restrain my tongue from making negative remarks to a child or to drill my mind in judging others favorably. That's spiritual work. That's sane and happy usefulness. Or to to teach my hand to to put a dollar in the palm of a loathsome beggar when I'm at a traffic light. You know, how about to instruct my shoulders to carry someone's load? You know, these are the kinds of works that we do in addition to the obligation and responsibility of carrying the message. So this goes way beyond just the elimination of uh, our binge foods. This is about, am I living the way God intends me to live? Am Am I utilizing those strengths 
and uh, experiences that I've had in order to pass it on and to be that servant uh, to my higher power to the best of my ability. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? All right, let's move on to the next paragraph. If you would read that, Robin. Good morning. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. One more suggestion. Whether the family has spiritual convictions or not, they may do well to examine the principles by which the alcoholic member is trying to live. They can hardly fail to approve these simple principles, though the head of the house still feels somewhat in practicing them. Nothing will help the man who is off on a spiritual tangent so much as the wife who adopts a sane spiritual program, making a better practical use of them. Nothing will help the man who is off on a spiritual tangent so much as the wife who adopts a sane spiritual program. Well, I've been in both positions before. I've been the the wife of an alcoholic, um, and I've been the alcoholic. Um, And the one thing that I can tell you about myself and my alcoholic is that um, it's kind of easy to go off on a spiritual tangent in in the beginning because everything changes, and it's so wonderful. Um, I personally wanted to stay in that pink cloud, because that was a more, hmm, the reason I was eating was because I always wanted comfort. I never wanted to be uncomfortable, so I picked up the food. And when I put down the food, there were times when I was uncomfortable. Um, Living in the pink cloud kept me comfortable, (laughs) and that's where I wanted to stay. And as we read in the paragraph before, um, this is, where our fellow travelers are, that is where our work must be done. I'm supposed to stay on the earth. Um, My job is here. It's it's not time for me to be with my higher power, um, as happens after death. This is where where my life is to be lived, here on this earth. So um, the spiritual tangent, it's very easy to be distracted by, um, by... the comfort and the ease of living with a higher power. Um, and so so when I'm there or when somebody else is there, it's not always easy to deal with somebody who's in that kind of a place. And what what I'm told in this paragraph here is if I, as the other person in a relationship, can remain on my own sane spiritual path, then I'll be able to weather whatever the other person is going through. Uh, no matter how crazy it might look, no matter how it looks as if I have lost dear husband who, recovering alcoholic, now wants to become a priest. <laughs> if if I stay on my own sane spiritual path, this too will probably pass, and I can wait it out um, as long as I turn the other person over to the care of his or her higher power and stay in the care of my own higher power Um this too shall pass. Thanks, I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. Well, this is Janice, and I'd like to comment on this paragraph too. You know, these suggestions, these very, very practical suggestions are so helpful. They're so useful because it says very, very clearly and simply, you know, what, 
what the family can do in their own circumstance. They may examine, first examine the principles. Look at the principles by which this recovered, now recovering alcoholic is trying to live by. You know, see, see how you relate to these principles, these very simple principles that everyone can live by. And then he may be failing to practice them perfectly, but he is practicing them. What if you practice them too, it says. What if you practice them too? And then adopt them and find they have a practical use. So if the family afterwards, if the wife, if, if, the, if the children, if everyone begins to look at what it is that this alcoholic is now doing, searching for this more spiritual way of looking at things, and they adopt them too, everything is going to shift. Like Robin just said, everything can't help but change. Because nothing changes if nothing changes. But when the family begins to see that these simple principles might be helpful and useful for them too, then everyone comes to this place of more being more firmly planted on the earth. The feet more firmly planted and seeing how they can be practical right here, right now, in this day. And I think that's a wonderful suggestion and, and brings great benefit if we follow it. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just wanted to um, bring out what these spiritual principles are that we've, you know, three, four times in this paragraph, we've seen the word principles. And here are the principles. And there's one for each step. The first one is honesty, hope, faith, courage, integrity, willingness, humility, self-discipline, love, perseverance, awareness, and service. And each one of these relates to steps. Honesty goes with step one. So they're telling us, you know, if we use these principles to live by, what a change for everybody. And, it's, you know, these fit every single one of us as human beings. We all need to live by these, you know. Um, being honest with each other, having humility, loving each other. You know, our code is love and tolerance. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment before we move on? Press star one to unmute. Go ahead, Patricia. Um, for me, I couldn't. I did the sought through prayer meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. Now I did that. I did that for a long time. Okay, and but what would happen is I would go about my day, and it would be like something would happen, and I would react. Still, so I can talk all the talk I want. You know, I can talk about these principles. I can try to live these principles. I can do all this stuff, 
you know, I can try and I can try and I can try and I can, and I kept falling and kept falling, you know, and I kept on falling short of, of what I thought, how I thought I should be living. And I just want to say, tell you my experience. I had an experience, I had a dream um, a couple weeks ago, and in my dream, God asked me if I was willing to give him my minutes. And when I, when I, yeah, I said, my minutes? I said, yeah, you can have my minutes. And when I woke up out of my dream, it was like, wow, my minutes. That's what my problem was. Because I kept on, yes, I wanted to so much live by these principles and live close to God, but I didn't know how. I was doing my prayer and meditation. I was reading all my books, and I was trying so hard to to, you know, get my, every time something would happen, I'd react and then pray. And I couldn't seem to remember to pray. <laughs> First, I couldn't seem to remember to do the pause, like, like I heard, which was so valuable also for me. I, I couldn't remember to do it. And what now is what is happening is that by giving him my minutes, it's helping me to slow down and to keep my focus where it needs to be and to, you know, know that I have to stay right here in the clouds. And this is so awesome, this, this piece for me, it has it meant a lot to me. Keep my heads in the cloud with him. Keep my thoughts with him and my feet on the ground so then I can say, Lord, how do I handle this? As soon as something happens, I don't need to be reacting. I need to be praying. How do I handle this? And I just wanted to share that. Thank you. I passed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Penny, would you please read that for us? Good morning. This is Penny C., recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. There will be other profound changes in the household. Liquor incapacitated father for so many years that mother became head of the house. She met these responsibilities gallantly. By force of circumstances, she was often obliged to treat father as sick or or a wayward child. Even when he wanted to assert himself, he could not, for his drinking placed him constantly in the wrong. Mother made all the plans and gave the directions. When sober, father usually obeyed. Thus, mother, through no fault of her own, became accustomed to wearing the family trousers. Father, coming suddenly to life again, often begins to assert himself. This means trouble unless the family watches for these tendencies in each other and comes to a friendly agreement about them. What I see is in this last, last sentence is another warning, another warning. There'll be trouble unless the family watches and, and, you know, and comes to a friendly agreement about them. You know, I've sat in rooms and listened to so many husbands and wives whose alcoholic could be is their spouse or the children in some, some instances, but mostly the, the spouse. And and I've I've listened to them talk about how sometimes it's easier to live with the drunkard than it was to live with the person who had finally found recovery in AA and was was becoming um, a spiritual spiritual um, specimen instead of you know the irresponsible 
drunkard that they had lived with, and it becomes so difficult for people to live with recovery. And and they come to the rooms um, of Al-Anon, and, and they think they're there for the alcoholic, and soon, soon they realize that they they come for themselves, and by coming for themselves and recovering themselves and developing a spiritual uh, life themselves, it's the best way they can help anyone else in the family. And then the family begins to understand that. And in my own experience, it, it wore off on my children. They don't necessarily go to have, you know, a 12-step program active in their lives, but through their mother, they they have the principles, and the family became um, miraculously, you know, so much better than it had before. But we do. This is this is so true. You know, we watch for the tendencies in each other, and then we 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 my my children will say to me, you know, mom, are you are you thinking about what you've taught us, what you've learned in 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 OA? So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sharon. Leah. Go ahead, Sharon, and then Leah. Oh, good morning, Janice, and good morning, Vision for You. This is Sharon. I am a recovered compulsive overeater and just so grateful to be on the line this morning. As I'm listening to this reading and, and following along here, it strikes me that recovery is sure is messy. Boy, this is not easy. This is not easy. And we, you know, we had that that illusion that when we got sober, when we became abstinent, life was going to change. It was going to be better. But what we're reading here is that, boy, things are not going to line up the way we thought they were going to line up. It's not going to look like that beautiful, like we talked about yesterday, yesterday leave, her, leave it to beaver uh, environment that never really exists for anyone anyway. We're going to have to work at this. We're going to have to work at it. And um, it's not just going to magically happen because we eat our food properly. It's just not going to happen. We are going to have to constantly work at it. And and for me, for me, in addition to reading and writing and, and doing uh, studying and getting on this call and working with my sponsors, I have to depend a lot on my fellows because I don't know how to live. But when I cling to my fellows, when I constantly am checking in and saying, well, this happened, and then uh, and getting feedback, because my brain is broken. It is broken. I, I just, so many years of living in my own world has, has distorted things for me. So now that I'm trying to live in the real world, I don't know what that means. I don't know what, what is, sometimes I don't know what's right and what's wrong. And so I depend on my fellows because maybe in their own life they can't help themselves, but they can sure hear crazy when they when they hear it. And and so we can help each other and we can depend upon each other 
to help us through, particularly through those early days. But I find every as even as we go on in our program, it's very important to stick close, to keep pressing in to the core of this program, to my fellows and and to the principles of this program. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sharon. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you, Janice. Uh oh, trouble on the home front. And what do you mean, Sharon? That uh, the Cleaver family was all a fabrication. Are you? <laughs> Don't tell me that now. Um, this means trouble unless the family watches for these tendencies in, in each other and comes to a friendly agreement about them. Again, we're in Chapter 9, The Family Afterwards, and they wrote this chapter because they knew there was going to be a period uh, of reconstruction, a long period of reconstruction ahead. And uh, it speaks of the challenges, and it speaks of the readjustments that are necessary. Because let's face it, we know very well from the text that these diseases affect everybody, engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. And everybody's adapting in disease the best they can. So, new, so roles uh, are taken on uh, in order to survive a uh, very stressful abnormal situation. So it's talking about that here. It says, thus mother, through no fault of her own, became accustomed to wearing the family trousers. Father, suddenly coming to life again, often begins to assert himself. So the dynamics that became normal in disease are now shifting. And, uh, and even though those old roles and responsibilities were not the norm. Um, they were what people became accustomed to. You know, we adapt to what we have to adapt to. So this poor wife adapted to wearing the pants because she had to, because hubby was over there, uh, you know, laying in the gutter night after night after night. So she had to do what she had to do. Well, now here comes hubby. Now he's sober. Now he thinks he's got something going on. He's going to meetings at night. He's got a fellowship to attend. He's got people he's sobering up. And uh, what's the role that the mother's going to do now? What's the role for this wife? So the roles and responsibilities are shifting. And this is a major challenge and adjustment for a family, even though it seems very positive, and it is positive. But it is an adjustment. And, of course, the big book is stressing, as we read in the previous paragraph, the importance of all family members living by these spiritual principles as a means of restoring the stability, if there ever was stability, restoring some stability and trust and integrity within the family unit. And it says this means trouble unless the family watches for these tendencies in each other and comes to a friendly agreement about them. You know, recovery is a growth process. It's a growth process for everybody involved, actually. And I'm convinced that when alcoholics hurt, in particular, or compulsive overeaters, we're either going to compulsively overeat or we're going to grow. You know, and, and, that's, and that's, that's the whole deal here. In a marriage, when we survive these readjustments, when we survive these difficult situations without going back to our substances, um, we come out spiritually and emotionally stronger than when we went in. And as a couple, as a family, as a marriage, we grow together or we grow apart. We don't stand still. We don't stand still. So with marriages, uh, you know, 
you know, we have to ask ourselves what we're willing to give up to, ki- to have the kind of relationship and family life that we want. Are we willing to give up self-will run riot in order to be aligned with these spiritual principles? And marital harmony, family harmony in the home is more important than the desire to convince the other person they are wrong and you are right. If that is the objective, uh, it'll be easier to maintain. That, that harmony is the objective. Unity is the objective. You know, I think of the traditions. Unity. You know, what is for the common good here? So, yes, we have to watch for tendencies in each other, but if we align ourselves with the principles, this readjustment can go more smoothly and we, everybody can end up in a more positive uh, result. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. This one speaks so much to me. I I so see that very thing, that adapting to the disease in order to survive and now adapting to this new recovery. You know, humans are very adaptive. We are very adaptive. It's how we survive. You know, it is how we survive. We find our way. We do things that seem so impossible but we do them in order to survive. And now everything gets thrown up into the air and it comes down in this beautiful and wonderful new place, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Abstinence? Higher power? Isn't this all wonderful? But guess what? We are oh so human. And know all the family's roles and all the things that we got accustomed to are all going to change. And things have to be able to change. But what is now right, what is now equal, what is now the balance, all has to be relearned. It may have been there at one time and got all distorted, and now we need to see it clearly again. Now it needs to be made clear. And guess what? It's pretty practical. It's pretty practical. It does not happen in a spiritual vacuum. It happens right here, right now. You know, I have to take myself out into the world. You know, when it's me and God, isn't it sweet? Isn't that where the ease and comfort, acceptance? But then there's action, practical application of this way of living. You know, and that means it has to happen with others. I have to learn, relearn how to live and play well with others. And that started first right there in the family, right there in the family. And this, this partner, this mother, this father, whoever, whoever was the one who was not the practicing alcoholic, the practicing compulsive overeater, but the one who was trying to manage everything all around, they did what they needed to do. They adapted. But now everything, new roles have to be relearned, new ways of communication, you know, new ways of making decisions together, of talking things out. But when we do it with spiritual principles that Monica read for us, when we use those practical spiritual principles, then everything can come to that place again, where there's balance again, where cooperation, where there's accord rather than discord. And it's a very practical and useful and happy way of living. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Before we close, 
My name is Marianne. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Go ahead, Marianna. Thank you. Um, yeah, so it reminds me of uh, following instructions. Um, my sponsor keeps telling me if you just follow instructions. Um, and um, and I love that it's such a practical way of living. living. And, you know, from I open my eyes, I can be in my in my disease, um, and I often am. I have a very active brain, and it's very creative um, in telling stories, and um, and I know exactly what to do. And if I don't remember what to do, then then I never forget to call my sponsor, and then she always reminds me to pray, and to get out of my head and do service something for somebody else um, and uh, I know this is just the last minutes of the meeting so I just want to put my number out uh, my number is 917-297-6103 it's 917-297-6103 and um, I'm available as a sponsor and you're also welcome just to reach out have a good day y'all bye Thank you. Well, thank you to everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Um, and Esther, would you please read that for us? As the, uh, the last lady who shared, can you repeat her number? She said she's a sponsor. Um, that will be on the recording, but we'll close the meeting now, and perhaps um, you can ask that. Okay, thank you. I forgot. Sure, that's all right. That's all right. Esther, are you available? Katie, could you read that for us? I'm sorry, I'm not. You'll have to move on to Robin. Okay, Esther. Go ahead. Did Katie already, Did Katie already ahead, pipe, pipe in? No, she's not available. Could you read for us, Esther? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. Thank this you. This is Robin. Do you want me to read, do you want me to read Janice? This Esther, is Robin. Esther is going to do it. Okay. I apologize. I just don't know what... I didn't hear you as I was on Oh, we're reading. We're at the very end. The... the, um, the the um, Our book? Yes, yes, thank I'm you. I'm sorry. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God would, will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.